This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Yidikar, where we are dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's sermons and talks, just the good stuff. We hope you'll enjoy. Thank you for your support. Shabbat Shalom. I need to start by, by welcoming my dear friends uh, here from B BCI, the Brandeis Collegiate Institute, uh, having just completed a, a month-long summer of creating space, holding space for you know, a group of 20-somethings of who come from all over the world, and you give them the opportunity to really explore the, the big questions in life, big questions about who they are, who they want to be through Torah learning and art and and just such intentionally crafted space. So it's such a treat for me to see you all in this space and in that corner of the room. And it's such an incredible, incredible program. Uh, if you haven't heard anything about it or are curious about it, um, go ask those folks, go ask me. There's, there's a lot to share and in, incredible program. So welcome back, Mazal Tov on the summer. All right, so let's just say, hypothetically speaking, um, you know, that I was reading an article the other day called How to Create a Travel Slideshow That Won't Bore Your Friends. Okay, hypothetically, uh, on lifesavvy.com, five-minute read, sh shareable on Pinterest. Okay, but, but look, this, this, this article is important. Okay, we've all been there. The exuberant great aunt rolls out the projector and treats you to 12 straight photos of uh, Lake Minnetonka. You sort of recognize her friends in the picture. You know, these are the Weinsteins. We went 50-50 on the cabin. Yeah, 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 we have pictures of the cabin. You wanna see them? Stay a little longer. Okay, so, so here are the tips. Thank you, lifesavvy.com. Number one, curate your photos. Keep the slideshow short. Tell a story. Use transitions and mix in videos. Guaranteed your friends will be at the edge of their seats. All right, and then there's Parshat Masse. <laughs> this week's Torah portion, the grand finale to the book of Numbers, the end of the action of the great journey of the Israelites. We get treated to 50 consecutive verses of itinerary listing the 42 stops they made in the wilderness. Very little remember when, or really very little storytelling, certainly no transitions, just the formula. They set out from X and camped at Y again and again, right? Even the commentators who, who, who love Torah more than Rabbi, as much as Rabbi Kasher, Okay, even the commentators are baffled by this and they try, they really, they try to make sense of what's going on here. Why do we need this comprehensive map? Why detail every stop in this 40 year journey? Right, so a couple of approaches from the classical commentaries. Let's start with Rashi as, as we normally do. Right, so Rashi teaches that it highlights God's compassion for the people. So 42 stops, it sounds like a lot, but in fact, 
22 of them happened in the first and last year of the journey. So it's actually only 20 stops in 38 years, which is actually quite merciful, considering that in the second year, the, God decrees that the Israelites will be wandering throughout the desert from one place to the next because of the sin of the spies. Okay, so life in the wilderness, Rashi is saying, and was actually more stable than it appears. Reason number two is brought to us by Sforno, the 15th century Italian commentator, and he's going to answer this question differently. He says, recording each stop actually highlights the faithfulness of the Israelites. That, that they, the Israelites followed after God into the unknown. Right? And Sforno is reminding us that Sometimes in this journey, they, they actually left good places where they had camped, right? It was hard to leave those places, you know, all because God had called upon them to break down their camp and continue onward. Two good answers, right? Answers that give us interesting insights into how we remember the, the one-time journey of our ancestors, their relationship with God, their resilience, but in some ways, Rashi and Sporno are explaining why your great aunt would want to see every picture in the slideshow. Right? Not, not us. Right? We weren't there. Not at the Fakakta Lake or in the wilderness. Okay, so, so what do we do with this list of places? Devoid of story, devoid of immediate memory. So first, we need a different frame on the text of the Torah itself. It's not a history book. It's not an atlas. It's poetry, art, begging to be interpreted, to be experienced. And when we see the Torah only through the prism of the past, we deny its present potential. All right, so let's leave it to the Hasidic Rebbe's to really say it best. Rebbe Menachem Nachum of Chernobyl, 18th century teacher known as the Me'or Enayim, wrote in the opening words to his commentary on the book of Numbers, Sefer Bamidbar, The Torah is eternal and relevant in every time. For the Me'or Enayim, the stories of the Torah are continuously echoing in our lives, right? taking on new dimensions as we map ourselves onto ancient tracks. So it isn't just that the Israelites of the wilderness generation left one place and camped in another 42 times, but anyone who engages in the spiritual journey from narrowness to liberation similarly visits these places. Right? So it, it turns out we're in the slideshow, right? Which tends to make it more interesting. So one of the ways the Morayinayim makes this interpretive move is by looking closely at the features of the places we encamped at, and then lifting up the symbolism of each place as an aspect of the spiritual journey. He, he breaks down place after place, and I won't, I won't take you through the whole list of how he does it right now, but I want to highlight where he begins. What is the first step of a spiritual journey? 
What's the first step of a spiritual journey? Vayachanu b'Rifidim. They camped at Rifidim. And then the verse immediately continues. Velo haya ma'im lishtot. There was no water to drink. This isn't just physical. The Me'orianaim is explaining that the people were thirsty because they were disconnected from Torah. They were detached from a source of meaning, of narrative, direction that satiates the soul. Or in the words of the poet Mary Oliver, another morning and I wake with thirst for the goodness I do not have. Our spiritual journeys, the Israelites and our own, begin with thirst, a slight desperation, a visceral taste of scarcity, the creeping knowledge that when thirst persists, real danger abounds. And we are masters of quenching thirst with salty water. Our parchedness has become so familiar, it can be hard to detect. We are each spiritually dehydrated in our own ways. We run through the motions and our rituals, our work, our relationships, prioritizing familiarity over discovery. We stop dreaming, accepting the world as is, negating our power to make change. We accept our stories of self as fixed, mistaking who we could be tomorrow for who we are today. So here's the good news. We don't yet need to know where the water will come from. We need to start asking why we're thirsty. Where in our lives are we disconnected from the wells that nourish us? That place of questioning, of feeling and naming the thirst in our lives and the danger within is a stop on the journey. It's a necessary one. It's the first one says the Maorinayim, and we call it Rifidim, a place of encampment for whatever time we need there. And this moment in our calendar is precisely the time to be there. We've entered this sweltering heat of Av, the month defined by the destructive fire that burned the temple in Jerusalem to the ground, the moment in our collective memory that brought painful uncertainty about where and how we'd find spiritual nourishment. One stop on a long journey, because Av brings us to Elul, the month of introspection, of cheshbon nefesh, of getting into right relationship with each other in time for Rosh Hashanah, and ultimately Yom Kippur, the day of purification. Right, the day described by Rabbi Akiva in the Mishnah as an immersion in the divine mikvah, mikveh Yisrael Hashem, a day in which our thirst is met by the all-encompassing waters of divine love. While the 70 days from Av to Yom Kippur begin in crisis, embedded within the journey is the promise of emerging renewed. In other words, in the moment you recognize thirst, you also anticipate its quenching. 
as scary as it is, and it can be terrifying to recognize the ways that we're broken and disconnected, the first step of the spiritual journey is actually lined with hope and joy. We'll find water. We'll find water. Thank God now we know that's what we're looking for. Right? And the water we yearn for, it's the sweetest there is. Shabbat Shalom, Chodesh Tov. Hi, it's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe. And please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you maybe even in person sometime soon.